the real Chris Easter miracle will be if I don't knock something down up here. <laughs> Man. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for by his great mercy he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of the dead of Jesus Christ our Lord and an inheritance that is undefiled, unfading, and imperishable. Wow, yeah. <laughs> what if it actually happened? What if it actually happened? What if that were true? Before we move on to chocolate bunnies and jelly beans, mm, boy, jelly beans, painted eggs and Easter brunch, what if we just stop to think briefly, what if it actually happened? What's the difference? In the gospel lesson, it says on the third day, Jesus said on the third day he would rise, and Jesus says that a couple times in the gospel. On the third day I will rise from the dead. In Jewish literature, the third day is a, is a significant phrase. It's a phrase that is used at least uh, 30 times in the Hebrew Bible. It's a phrase that means the world that follows that third day will be different than the world that was before it. We will see the world differently. We will understand God differently. The third day is when Moses sealed the covenant with God, and the Hebrew's life would not be the same after that third day. The third day is when Esther went to plead for the life of her people with the king so they would not be exterminated. Their life would be different. On the third day, Abraham took Isaac up the mountain to sacrifice him. The third day is a cataclysmic event in Hebrew thought where the world will be different. We have third day thinking. We don't, we don't talk about it as the third day, but we have events that we say changed the world. The world is different. 9-11 changed the world. For many, the, uh, the Kennedy assassination changed the world. For others, the, the Challenger disaster changed the world. We see it differently. So the resurrection is a third-day event where we see life differently. What changes? In the Gospel lesson, when the leaders come and, and ask for the tomb to be sealed and made secure, everyone understands that Jesus is dead. They are certain he is dead. The leaders are certain. Pilate is certain. The women that show up at the tomb on Easter morning are certain he's dead. The disciples are certain. All God's children believe he is dead. You can count on death as a certainty in life. And maybe it is the only certainty in life. 
is death. And then the things that go with death are certain. You know, that's how the world is. That's how the world is as we know it. Disease is certain. Hatred is certain. Lies are certain. Violence and war are certain. These are the things that go with death. And then the resurrection on the third day changes that certainty. Maybe we can no longer count on death. Maybe violence and hatred are not what we count on because God is in control and God is loose in the world to change things. Maybe it's always been that way, but now we see it that way, that God has changed how we see the world operates. That love is stronger than hate. That mercy is stronger than violence. That powerless love is stronger than loveless power. What's changed is that there is now a yes but to the world. Yes, things look horrible. Yes, it looks like death has the final word. Yes, it looks like hatred is the final word, but by God's great mercy, it can be different. We move from a world as it is to a world of what God's love can make it. We move from certainty to faith, to a resurrection faith. Resurrection faith says that God is present. Sometimes people make a big deal out of the empty tomb. Well, the tomb is empty. That proves Jesus rose from the dead. No, it doesn't. It just proves that the tomb is empty. If if there uh, were the discovery of an empty tomb at Greenlawn Cemetery this afternoon, nobody would assume that there was a resurrection they would assume that the body was stolen. And if the police chief got on the news tomorrow to report on this crime, and the police chief said, no, the body wasn't stolen, the body was resurrected, we'd say, she's nuts. We want a different police chief, one that can think. You know, empty tomb doesn't prove it. The presence of Jesus proves it. The disciples don't talk about the empty tomb. They talk about Jesus being present in their lives. And Jesus isn't resuscitated. It isn't a corpse that resuscitates. It's a presence that appears. He appears in the upper room. He appears on the beach. He appears on the road to Emmaus. He just kind of pops in and pops out. People get glimpses of him. How he got there, we don't know. 
Where he goes, we don't know. But there are just glimpses of Jesus, of the presence of Christ. I've had these glimpses. I've had several of these appearances of Jesus. I don't see anything, but I sense his presence. Last Saturday, at the wedding of uh, Philip Clark and Alan Price, we celebrated communion. And when I read the lines and the congregation read the lines, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. And, whoa! I sense Christ present in the room at this wedding. Last Thursday, we had that very powerful service of hand washing. Several of you have told me that as your hands were washed and you looked in the eyes of the person washing your hands, you said, I felt Christ was present. Friday, when Chris led us in singing, Take This Bread, I felt Christ present in the room. We get these glimpses that he's alive, and it brings joy to us, and it adds zest to our lives and spirit to our lives. Christ is present. That's the resurrection faith. Christ is not absent. And Christ is present in the present. You know, people can say, well, Jesus was resurrected back then, and the resurrection is a historical event. Or Christ will, is off in the future, and I believe in my resurrection off in the future, and Christ is a futuristic event. All that does is empty Christ from the present, where he's not in control. He isn't giving life in the present. Christ is present in the present. Christ is risen today. This week I, uh, I read a, a history of the Nez Pierce War. I know it's not number one on the book list this week. The Nez Pierce tribe uh, was in the Pacific Northwest. It's the, it's the same story that we hear repeated in American history of, of the whites taking the land from the Indian and taking the, uh, the Native Americans' uh, homeland. Story revolves around Chief Joseph, who was a very articulate, very smart, very logical chief. He, uh, he is the chief who said, I will fight no more forever when he surrendered to the American army. He usually won the arguments he had with the Americans because he was very logical and very smart. And people grew to admire his intellect, admire his courage, admire his peaceful nature, actually. And he became a, a charismatic figure uh, in the 1870s and, and uh, 80s and 90s. He would, he would participate in parades. Uh, they would take him from the reservation and and he would be in parades, and he would speak at the White House and, and speak at Congress. They, would name, they named cities after him in the Pacific Northwest. So there's a Joseph, Oregon. And people really liked the idea 
of Chief Joseph in the past because he was gone. He wasn't causing any more trouble. They liked that, that leader in the past, and they say, yeah, we really admire him. And one time he, he went back to where his homeland was, and they had a feast, and they had a parade, and they honored him and all this. And then he said in the speech, I want my homeland back. And suddenly the celebration died because the living Joseph in the present wasn't what they wanted. You know, they had to deal with Joseph in the present. The resurrection faith says Jesus is present in the present, and that can be demanding because we can't make anything we want of Jesus. I have this, this fantasy of um, what the disciples were like on Saturday after the crucifixion. I think they were heartbroken. I think they were, they were downcast. They were devastated. But I think they were also relieved. I think they thought, you know, we fought the good fight, we tried, we lost, and now we can go back to a peaceful life where he isn't dragging us all over creation, he isn't dragging us into awkward situations. We can just go back to the fishing nets and live as we used to live. There's a certain comfort in failure. We can quit trying. And then the word comes. He's back. Oh, God, no. <laughs> Does this mean we have to tramp all over the earth again? Does this mean we're going to have to feed the hungry when we don't think we have enough resources for ourselves? Does this mean we're going to have to argue with the religious authorities? Does this mean people will make fun of us because we follow him? Does this mean we're going to care for the sick and care for the lonely and care for the homeless and the naked? Oh, my gosh. You see, it's easy to have sympathy for a dead Jesus. Doesn't ask anything of us. But allegiance to a risen Lord asks discipleship of us. That's resurrection faith. Resurrection faith is about the inheritance. Peter says... Through the mercy of God, we have an inheritance that is undefiled, unblemished, and imperishable. I like the idea of an inheritance. How many of us dream about a rich uncle? Huh? A rich uncle you didn't know exists, but you get that letter in the mail? Yeah, yeah, I know my father had a brother somewhere in San Francisco. I just know it. Have you ever been present at the reading of a will? You know, there's eagerness. There's anticipation. I'm going to be named. I'm going to get something valuable. Through the mercy of God, we've been given an inheritance. It's life. It's life. 
Some people don't go to the reading of a will because they know they're not going to be named in it. They know they're not loved. They know they don't matter. They know they don't count. And what's more crushing than to be present at the reading of a will and not have your name read? I mean, that's like being in that green room waiting to be the first player drafted in the NFL and they don't draft you. Peter says everybody gets the inheritance. Through the mercy of God, everybody gets the inheritance. There's enough to go around. And if we know people who think they don't matter and don't think they're loved and don't think they count, it's our job to go to them and say, hey, you're in the will. You're in the will. This is a good day for you. The resurrection faith isn't about the status quo. It's about transformation, how God can change things, how God's love and mercy can bring love out of hate, can bring peace out of violence, can bring light out of darkness. The resurrection faith is about transformation. It's about the quality of our life now. How our life now is transformed by the presence of Christ who brings joy, who brings mercy, who brings compassion, who brings peace. Yeah, I believe in life after death. But I believe in life before death. I believe in life now and the quality of life that God brings us. If now, so then. It's both. This is the third day. This is the third day. Christ was transformed, we are transformed. When you left the house this morning and you smelled the fresh air and you smelled the flowers and the cut grass and you heard the birds and you felt the warmth, didn't you think for just a split second, I hope it's true, I hope things change. I hope things are transformed. Maybe this time, love is stronger than hate. Maybe this time, peace is stronger than violence. Yes, but it's different. It's a blessing. It's a blessing through the great mercy of God. It's the third day when things change and we see the world differently and we begin to make the world different. Christ is risen. Make the most of it. Make the most of it. Amen.